0: Well, hello again. It's Lee Sales, and it's Annabelle Crab. Finally, we're in the same room. It's been, oh God, it's been about two weeks of the most ridiculous
1: trying to find a half an hour where we can both you know, turn the phone off. I know. And so I apologize for our unreliability as podcast producers, but I yet again remind you that we did promise in episode one that it would be slightly crappy quality. We've got really shit stuff as well. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. the other thing. Exactly. So this uh, podcast today is basically a combination of our best of 2014 and just sort of general Christmas. It's delivery. just going to degenerate into alien pretty quickly, though, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know how it rolls. If you've listened, you'll cover before. it with the show tune. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, and also, we've decided as a Christmas gift to ourselves that um, we don't have to stick to the half-hour time limit. <laughs> what a special treat! <laughs> so, we're sitting here at my kitchen table today with some delicious biscuits that Annabelle baked, which I've already eaten mine. And I'm now eyeing off the final bit of yours. Yeah, I know, fair enough. I, I
0: brought a sort of really lame little cellophane packet of biscuits for you. You've presented me with this bag of incredibly beautiful baked treats. I mean, I can't even – it's got the it's got the aura of rum ball about it. I don't know if that's right or <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah, there's rum There's like four things in this bag. There's baubles tied on the – yeah, you've totally oh, – right, oh, God, yeah. All right. So there's a sort of an – is that an apricot ball? Ging- a ginger balls, ball. A ginger ball. They're my
1: ginger nut. How nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. I'm going try a ginger ball. You yes. should. This, is, this <laughs> is going to really work for
1: audio, I think. <laughs> They're not quite gingery enough for my mm. taste because I really like – I love my ginger to be quite gingery. In fact, on the weekend I had for the first time – have you ever had a cocktail called a Moscow Mule?
0: Yes, I have. That's got apple juice, that isn't, hasn't it? And ginger? Um,
1: ginger. Am I, right? I think it was like ginger or maybe ginger beer. Um, oh, yeah. Lime juice. uh yeah, I can't believe I've raised it. I don't know. If it was there was mint anyway? It was very nice, but po- possibly not gingery enough for me. Like I like oh, a real when I like a ginger, I like a real ginger kick. So oh, good. I'm glad you like them. Do you know? I would really like to see
0: the sales figures for a condensed milk and b kofa at Christmas time. Oh, I assume okay. that there is like a just a massive spike. Because like, what else do you ever use kofa for? Have you ever heard? of another use of Kofa apart from Christmassy
1: slices. Kids' birthday parties, of crackles, but that would be about it. But, yeah, condensed milk, exactly. They must just have a run on that stuff.
0: So when we had – sorry, one more um, pushy um, (laughs) baking-related point. Last week when we tried to get together and it didn't work, um, I had some sticky um, traditional gingerbread that I ended up just sort of sadly leaving on your desk in a really unbecoming container. But that is my new thing. Like, I mean, I had I bought a box of it at my um, daughter's kind of drama performance trading table store um, last weekend, and I've made about four tons of it since. It's got fresh ginger grated into it. It's like it's not like a ginger gingerbread house kind of gingerbread. It's kind of sticky. It's about fifty percent molasses, basically, or treacle. Treacle. And golden syrup and fresh ginger, loads of it, grated
1: in. Yum. Well, funny it's, funny you should raise that. And by the way, if ever you drop food on my desk, you know, the container's irrelevant. <laughs> I'll take just, you know, a milk carton if it's got your tasty baking in it. Um, my, what, what we were going to do today in the podcast is talk through some of our favorite things of the year, favorite baked recipe, favorite salad, favorite main course recipe, favorite books, favorite film, favorite TV, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, my, one of my favourite recipes, baking recipes this year, which um, my criteria is how often have I made the thing because oh. I think that's a good criteria that it's a favourite if you keep going back to mm. it. And I keep going back to in Stephanie Alexander's Cook's Companion, there's a ginger cake. Um, it's called Sue's Ginger Cake. Ooh. And it's also treacle. Um, yeah. So it's very gingery, so you get that lovely sort of spice of the ginger, but then the treacle gives it that heavy, sticky, you know, it's almost got also treacle, that slightly bitter note in it. Yeah. So it's a really, really delicious cake. Treacle is just an
0: underused sugar-bearing... yeah, vehicle isn't it? Really.
1: I always associate it with Enid Blyton because they'd be in their midnight feasts in um the Enchanted Wood or whatever. They'd be treacle, or I think Moonface in the Enchanted Wood, oh, like Google
0: buns. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, a universal search engine bun that was um, <laughs> Enid Blyton being incredibly <laughs> yeah at her
1: time. Yeah, exactly. That sounded delicious. <laughs> so, what did you have a favourite uh, other than the gingerbread cake you've been making? Have you had a favourite recipe for this year of cakes or other baked goods? Look, um. The the cake that I,
0: pound for pound I've made more since becoming aware of it is this great chocolate cake, um, and I, I'm just have never been a big chocolate cake fan. Like I mean I I don't know, but ever since um, a friend of mine Sue brought around um, this Rachel Allen chocolate cake, it's got fudge icing, which I think may be the kind of um, clincher. It was a revelatory chocolate cake. It's incredibly fudgy. Um, but somehow still a bit moussey, you mm. know, um, and it's got this ridiculous icing, which is kind of the thing that makes the whole shoot and match worthwhile. Where you um, you make the icing by um, um, heating butter and water and caster sugar,
1: oh,
0: and cocoa, and it kind of makes this. It's like fudgy. So Rumble it would be like fun, yeah. yeah. And then you you kind of pour it over when it's warm, and then. Day after day, this cake improves.
1: And Is it like that old school fudge? Like, remember the fudge you used to get at school fates? Yeah, totally. Like, it's yeah, exactly like that. It's always that. got like a sandy sort of texture. That is exactly what it's oh, like. Yeah, it, Yeah, it's
0: really good. And the reason I've been making it a lot is that um, one of my best friends, one of our best friends, um, was diagnosed with celiac disease this year. And so um, I have been cooking more gluten-free stuff than ever before. Um, and I have, it's driven me into a whole new world of flowers, you know. So I've got, I've now got all this weird stuff in my, you know, tapioca flour and rice flour and, you know, you can make such great stuff that's... And they still taste good. This cake, um, has only 70 grams of flour in it. The Mm -hmm. rest of it is just calorific monsters, you know, (laughs) from the planet fat, basically. (laughs) No, it's got, um... Uh, Quite a bit of almond meal in it. Oh, yeah. So i found, like, if you just exchange the 70 grams of flour for 70 grams of gluten-free flour, which is this sort of devilish concoction of ground-up things that don't have wheat in them, um, it works an absolute treat. Mm. So
1: I've made it a lot of times. Speaking Um, of substitutions, let me ask you while mm. you're here in person. I, the other night, (laughs) at about half past nine... Went into a blind panic because I stupidly had come home from work and decided mm, it's a good time to do a bit of Christmas baking, and <laughs> went to start doing some biscuits and realised that my husband had eaten the last egg and so I was without an egg. So I, what well, did just it, he just cracked it down his throat <laughs> out of sheer malevolence. <laughs> yes, exactly. I hate that. They're like
0: when you're already doing the Christmas baking late at night, that you know that point where you've got so little time left to do it that the thing you've been looking forward to all year, doing mm. Christmas baking, just turns into a sort of I know. hate sex
1: equivalent. <laughs> Exactly. It was exactly like that. It was just hate sex. Um, so I've texted Crabby. With in a, only one egg. Which with is only one egg.
0: kind of hate sex. <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. Um, so I've texted Crabby in a blind panic to say, "Oh my god, I have no eggs. Is there anything you can use as a substitute?" But I'm guessing there's not. I went on a neighbourhood door knock because I presumed there wasn't. But is there? Uh, Look, I have in my cupboard egg white powder. Which, wow.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of like what they used to use in the war, I think. Yeah. I've got it because one of my dreams is to make a portable souffle. And now I know that this sounds very, very weird,
1: but um, I – Oh, is that a delivery or is that some child's toy gone mad? That's somebody at my front door, uh, so I'm just going to pause the podcast. And, like I said, slightly crappy quality. Just it'll a be a neighbour – Right, as Crab was saying before I rudely cut her off, that was going to be a neighbour going, where's my egg back, God damn it. Um <laughs> anyway. Yes, carry I've used on. the
0: opportunity to bog into these sweet and spicy nuts that you presented in this beautiful jar.
1: They're from a women's weekly mm. recipe. Very yummy: sugar, chili powder, turmeric, cumin, salt, and pepper. And do you um, toss them in egg white to make all that stick? Well, look, I'm sorry for everyone listening. If you're not a super cooking person, I promise we'll go to books or something soon. But yes, but no, it was we'll a take bit our of own sweet time. I think <laughs> it was a bit of trial and error because. I couldn't quite work out. I'd never done that before. I know you do this sort of stuff. But initially, so I had the bowl with the powder in it and then I yeah. had some egg whites. And so mm. the first, mm. first pass, I dropped all of the nuts into the egg whites, yeah. pulled them out and dropped them all into the bowl of powder, which was right. a disaster. It t- the powder turned into like kitty litter that a cat had <laughs> been <in>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
0: my God. Now I've just inhaled a bit of Mac-A-B-M.
1: And so, <laughs> I'm assuming that I got one of the later batches. <laughs> a good friend I thought I could give you an early batch early prototype yeah, oddly um, then, absorbent because when I put them then in the oven there was too much egg white it was like the nuts came out it was like a nutty egg white omelette so okay no, then, that does sound tasty then I discovered the best better thing to do was to put the nuts in the egg white mm. drain them in a sieve how many egg whites are you using oh, I used a good carton what um, I know maybe too up, many. Mate, I
0: use one egg white for six cups of nuts Oh my what, god! What, what idiot is feeding you this recipe, or is it? Just
1: <laughs> it, was your just own me. <laughs> it was just me. Why are you just like bathing them in a? <laughs> the recipe called for two. I reckon I used about twelve over the course of the cooking. So wow. clearly I was no, draining I've, off too much. The secret is that I mean I don't know. <laughs> well, I put them in it's the amusing. egg white. <laughs> <laughs> I put them in the egg white. Then I put them on the tray. Then I sprinkled the powder over oh. and then shook them. Okay.
0: Hesitant as I am to interfere with this excellent routine. <laughs> I just use one egg white, but right. I beat it like, until oh, so stiff peaks. it's oh. very And then you just tip. I, I use one egg white for six cups of nuts and toss it, like stir it all through so they're right. all just vaguely coated. And then I just tip the powder in on top right.
1: and keep stirring. Right. And then they're all kind of... They come up a treat. And they, these are some spicy almonds that Annabelle makes. What are the spices that you put on those? I put, um, so it's a quarter of a
0: cup of... Caster sugar, mm-hmm. and then two teaspoons of salt, mm-hmm. and then a teaspoon of cumin, and half a teaspoon of cinnamon, half a teaspoon of um, uh, cayenne pepper, mm-hmm. if you're wanting mm, yeah. a spicy one, that's how I keep my children away from it. Say, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's spicy, Yeah, <laughs> even if it isn't. And then uh, a little grinding of black pepper, and then... This is my mum's recipe, and this is the evil genius step yeah. that will take the nut from, oh, that's nice to, what is in that? A teaspoon full of curry powder. Oh.
1: Yeah, you're just your
0: standard, bog standard curry powder. Oh. And that, weirdly enough, it's one of those sort of shameful ingredients that really makes it. I've got a, a, Interesting. a salad dressing recipe that is equally superb but the secret shameful ingredient is just tomato sauce like yeah
1: a a tablespoonful of tomato sauce which takes it from kind of tomato there was a great piece in the new yorker lots of years ago about um heinz ketchup (gasps) and did you read that one i love that article yeah Um, about what the perfect because great tomato sauce it's the perfect balance apparently for the human palate the perfect balance between sweet Sweet and salty and spicy yeah and the
0: I think it was a Jeffrey Steingarten essay, wasn't it? Can't oh, remember maybe it wasn't. Was it Malcolm Gladwell or somebody? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It made it. It's, it had that. I remember the article. It had that Gladwell sort of approach. But mm. I remember that the answer was he wrote about something called amp, was it amplitude? Yeah. Like the amplitude of the tastes. Yeah. And it was this because there was another mention in the um, in the article of a perfect mustard, wasn't there? Yeah. Like Grey poupon mustard, which mm-hmm. apparently was just that un. Backable market leader, and it was this sort of s story about why um, rival brands just never got there. It's just it's actually yeah. this sort of incredibly. Um, finely balanced recipe. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And yeah. talking
1: about that Heinz, I can't even recall now what the other brands of ketchup are in the that's US. because there aren't so no, far yeah, ahead, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and also these incredible Kobe was another people. one that was mentioned. That's right, the, yeah. You
1: know, the recipe, the sweetness and the spiciness. That's right, yeah. it's the right balance. And these people, these incredible people whose jobs are as food tasters when you're doing, say, a biscuit prototype that you get in these professional... Palette people who say, no, that's not got enough salt or that's not got enough whatever, and they know the most marketable, their palate's developed into the most marketable mainstream American taste. And in fact, I think from recollection, maybe I'm conflating two articles here, but it's even based in a sort of – the best people are based in like Midwestern America, like sort of American heartland heartland sort of stuff. Imagine just
0: having that as a gift. Imagine if your life gift was just to be born with – an incredibly developed average palate, like mm. an incredible ability to understand what the majority of people will find delicious. Like, exactly. And why? I mean, what a great talent. I like, know. Palette 10, looks
1: three. Oh, um, <laughs> now, the spin off. <laughs> now um, let's, we'll come back to some, uh, some of our favorite recipes of the year shortly, but why don't we go to. Look at you. You're like, you're, you're completely, <laughs> I, I love t- the way you direct traffic. Well, it's thing. because I'm back you're, holding your yeah,
0: microphone. Wow. I um, like it that way. I think it, works.
1: Uh let's talk about our favourite
0: television of the year. Look, for Matt for mine, the greatest television um of the year is Sean McAuliffe Yeah, I loved it. He's just absolutely nailed it this year. Mm. That has been the show that I have consistently just not been able to wait for. Same. And Sean McAuliffe. Mad as hell. Yeah. I don't know, like I feel like Sean McAuliffe has always been a genius. And he's had kind of I don't know different shows, completely different manifestations of his talent. And this is the one that's just got it absolutely
1: right, I reckon. Mm, I completely agree in every way. I'm I'm actually stunned that they are able to put a show out of that quality every single week with quite a small team. And also that he straddles the line. I mean, it's just so sharp, firstly, Mm. the sort of takedown of all the political things. But it's actually – it's really astute, like the stuff that he's pillorying. And also – when you work at the ABC, it's you know he would he has to tread a very fine line where he doesn't breach ABC editorial policies and it's yeah. fair and all the rest of it, and he does it week after week yeah. flawlessly. When the pitfalls, I can't even tell you the pitfalls yeah. of that sort of stuff. It's and the, brilliant. The
0: tone is so great, and there's just all of these. I mean, even when you um, when you queue up, um, I mean, I often I always watch it on delay, and even like the little listing that describes what happens on the show that week is so funny like there's just all of these little extras packed in even down to I mean one of my favorite elements of the show is just the names that they make up for the fake experts and correspondents they're just so funny and um it's a really hard thing to do one of um I read this week um the, you know that great series that Julia Baird is doing called Anything But, where yeah. she interviews somebody about anything but the thing that they're famous for. Yeah. Her interview with um, with Sean McAuliffe is really interesting. Yeah, I thought so yeah. too. And That's it great. gives you this sort of terrible little insight into how weird it must be to be a funny person, you know, because I can imagine that people would just, you get that thing where you're at a party and people be say, funny, be funny. Yeah. Be funny. <laughs> and he obviously is a really kind of shy person mm. in many ways but the 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 interview was was actually really revealing and he's
1: clearly i've found this with um numerous funny people that i've met over my life they're often very quiet because they're very very observant mm. and i would guess based on his type of show that he is probably a very observant person rather than the life of the party and also because his work is very scripted it's not improvised at all but well, I was um, at, at university
0: after Sean was, and um, I actually used to actually share a house with Francis Greenslade, who is oh, now, wow. um, yeah. who is well,
1: the I'm only sure, person great. I've ever
0: asked for a photo with at the Logies.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, carry on.
0: Mate, well, you could have dropped my name.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: I think still rent, I didn't so know that. that might not have helped. <laughs> <laughs> but he was really legendary because of what Sean, he'd done or... with footlights. Yeah, right. Yeah, Francis Lesso. So. No, no, actually, Sean <laughs> Francis. A titan, you know, (laughs) Um, and a very funny person too in his own right, Francis, but Mm. – the the
1: work that oh, look at that beautiful little wren. Some people knocked on my front door oh. about that and said that it's a really rare bird that just happens to be in the backyard. And then they were like council people <gasps> and said, You've got the cluster of whatever these birds are. And then I got a letter. <gasps> they of, are so
0: beautiful. I know, like, little so blue. we're looking at um that it's like a superb blue wren, but it's um not blue. So it's like a little grey wren. The blue um, ones
1: do come in like Oh the, right. So you've got blue Yeah. That is Okay, so you're a, very a bird watching thing. I didn't know this. So people yeah. knocked at the front door and they didn't show any sign that they knew who I was, but then I got a letter at work which was sent to my producer to say, we're putting out a press release about Sydney's native bird thingies and we know that Lee Sales has got them, so can she please be in our press release about how much she likes the birds? And I'm like, well, I don't think I can because I don't. I, sort of I don't endorse them, bird species. I don't endorse <laughs> bird watching, okay? I just I can't <laughs> encourage that.
0: Um, Not a twitcher, the Lee Sales story. <laughs>
1: I'm constantly thinking of titles for memoirs. <laughs> I know. You said about three things today oh, that I think are the title for the podcast already. Not a twitcher is not probably a twitcher. going to be
0: it. But those, um, that is a really – like that, so these tiny little wrens are just jumping around in that little wrenny way that only, only really a creature with a thoroughly flexible tail like that can <laughs> – you know, animals that express themselves through their tails are just so cool.
1: I am so sorry, listeners, that you have come to this podcast thinking that it's going to be – books and films and now it's bird watching I Come on, I'm bird kidding. watching with annabelle
0: crab right i'm about to read out your address so that everybody can come and enjoy these damn
1: birds because i don't think i think they're wasted on you they said it. now can i tell you my favorite tv you must TV? never get a cat <laughs> yeah no that's a good point actually okay enough of the birds okay. can i talk about my tv um my favorite tv they were both things to which i was a Reluctant Convert, who oh, had okay. to be talked into watching, and I thought they were both fantastic. One was Masters of Sex, and the other was Please Like Me. So starting with Masters of Sex, which is um, a drama. It stars the guy who always plays Tony Blair. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Michael Sheen. Michael
0: Sheen. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's Imagine basically... Imagine always... Oh. No, she's still looking at birds, everyone. No, I'm, I gonna... am,
0: but I'm listening with my left ear to you. <laughs> they're, they're nesting, look. So you can have babies. Oh. <laughs> Are they oh really nesting? There could be a bloody, you know, Tasmanian tiger in your backyard. And you'd be like, but anyway, back to me and what I like on
1: television. Karen would be like, oh, my God, there's a unicorn. There's a unicorn in your backyard. I'm like, but I read a fantastic book by Steve Toltz. Um, so <laughs> so my, can I just quickly say, yuck, yuck.
0: it's great yes. to see people who have played Tony Blair their whole life getting some other stuff to do. It's like I'm really worried about Anthony Aykroyd when Kevin Rudd got the arse as well. And like when he returned I remember like remember that 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 four hours of television that we did yeah, together when he finally, you know, rubbed out Julia. And you ran out of people to talk to, so we ended up having to chat I just thought, I remember thinking on that night, this is a good night for Anthony Aykroyd because he does a really great Kevin Rudd. That's ride. true, and he's
1: got some work again. No he no was exact. sitting around yeah. high-fiving, like, whew, not so much for Amanda, whatever her name is, who is Julia. Bishop, yeah, Amanda I know. Bishop. yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry. Now, okay. I'm going to shut up and yes. not even look at that Thank incredibly you. adorable bird. I'm
0: going to be focused on <laughs> you. You can look
1: at the bird as long as I can, just keep talking. Okay. Um, Masters of Sex, basically, William Masters and his um, assistant, Virginia oh, she ended up marrying him, so she was ultimately Virginia Masters, but I felt terrible and I can't remember her name. Anyway, William and Virginia, um, sex researchers in the 1950s, 60s, and so it's sort of loosely based on their true real-life research. Now, mm. I didn't really want to watch it because I felt like, oh, I've seen that story, you know, about repressive attitudes and sex researchers and stuff. Mm. I'm just not interested. But what elevates it is the performances. He is a fantastic actor, that guy, yeah. and the woman who's Virginia is also awesome. But then possibly even more than them, there's a little subplot that involves Beau Bridges and Alison Janney um, as a couple, and he is a closet homosexual and she's his long-suffering wife, and it's really heartbreaking and beautifully done. So, yeah, I was I have have not watched a single second of that, and I'm now going to devote my Christmas to it. I had to completely get talked into it, but I loved it. The other one that I had to get talked into, Please Like Me, which is... Sales had to be talked into
0: sex, but turned (laughs) out like it. Was it improved by the knowledge, the absolute 100% rolled
1: gold knowledge that Kevin Andrews is probably watching it at the same time <laughs> and taking notes for complaint um, yeah masters of uh, yeah, watching masters of sex in the kitchen with my christmas baking masters of hate sex <laughs> um, the other one to which i was a convert was please like me which is the Ooh. josh thomas uh it was on abc2 i yep. think didn't rate very well but has been very acclaimed it sold over to the u.s yeah. now Josh Thomas is somebody that you may have strong views about already because he's got quite a distinctive persona. Mm. You've probably seen him on, in fact, Sean McAlef's show on Channel 10 talking about my generation Um, or maybe you've seen him do stand-up on telly or whatever. Uh, And so he's someone that you probably have a formed view about perhaps, which I didn't, so I thought, ah, it's not really my bag, I don't really want to watch it. I ended up watching like – season two episode five or something completely Mm. out of order because people were going on about twitter about what an incredible piece of television it was and it was an episode where he and his mother were going for a hike in cradle mountain and she was opening up about she had recently tried to kill herself and they were discussing it and so then i sort of it that was a truly amazing piece of tv it's so it's really the scripting is just Flawless, I reckon. It's so natural. And the performances are also so... I don't know how they've pulled it off, but again, they're so natural. Like They feel like real people. It feels almost like... Not not a doco, because it doesn't have that feel, but it's it straddles that line that really beautiful comedy does sometimes where it can be so painfully sad, but then also really funny. And it just brings it back... Like Louis. Like, like Louis, exactly, like a, Louis. Yeah. There's
0: whole episodes where there isn't one laugh, and yet mm. you're so... It's like he kind of carries that life of a comic around with him. Mm. But I think to get to the point as a comedian where you don't have to where you don't have to use it all the time yeah it's a really amazing place to be in absolutely
1: and then so for Josh I mean I think he's in his early 20s for him to have executed something yeah. with that really high degree of difficulty I think is just phenomenal so I went back then and watched from the start of season one and right really right from the start of season one it was really fully realized and I was just so impressed by it I thought it was Fantastic! So I highly um, recommend that. What about um because I had a baby this year, I've sort of been very housebound, <laughs> so I didn't get to the cinema. I think I got to see Gone Girl, and that was it. Did you do any kind of um? breastfeeding
0: kind of box sets or movies or anything like that i
1: did but nothing that really leaps out at me other than masters of sex which yeah, i was right. watching yeah nothing that oh, we did true detective which i thought was really good although i lost a bit of interest in that halfway through i also got to a point where i felt like i just didn't want to watch any more stuff that involves violent mutilation yeah. of women and stuff just yeah that over really it. cuts out a lot of content yeah so. it did
0: it really did so when we had our first baby um in london um <laughs> jeremy went to the DVD shop, and which you know, was still the primary um, means of obtaining filmic content. Anyway, he came home and I was on day three after having a baby, which you're, you're pretty much in tears the, the whole of that day anyway, right? Plus feeling like you've been hit by bus. Anyway, so he comes whistling home with um, two films, Babel <laughs> and Hotel Rwanda. Oh, thanks, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, that's supposed to be really great because I'm like, I know, but I'm already crying. <laughs> so about an hour into Babel, you know, when the kid's being like abandoned in the desert, I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm crying too hard. I feel like just taking us all out as a family. No,
1: just, no. Anyway, we always used to laugh when we would go to the video shop together because it was just a, an endless array of Phil holding up. So how about, you know, this? And I'd be like, are you joking? Why don't we do Friends with Benefits? Oh, you must be mental. I would just be this back and forth. The best ever example of that was our neighbours once were telling us how she sent my husband off to the video store and he came back with a DVD called One Tough Bastard, <laughs> which then we were like, mm. it's not about steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were like, what would be the sequel to that? One tougher bastard, two tough bastards, <laughs> tough bastard goes to. Um, <laughs> <vicious>. <laughs> yeah. um so yeah so i didn't get to the cinema really so i all my film watching was pretty limited but did you see any movies this year that Look, you i am um because of too many small
0: children just tragically um uh debarred from a sort of standard movie watching life um also my propensity to fall asleep about yeah. half an hour into any dvd or yeah Film, yeah, yeah. I'm very,
1: sure it's no surprise yeah. that I've nominated. You know, please like me. That's a sort of 25 and the minute, <laughs> and you've Gone, Michaela, which is about a 22. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, I did see a movie that made me very happy earlier in the year, and that was um, Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, and I have this sort of I love Wes Anderson, but I because I love the way every mm. every frame is a entirely plausible photograph you know that yeah right. the composition is just so incredible and I love the kookiness I love the actors that he uses and so on but I often find that at some point in a Wes Anderson movie I always kind of think oh this is this is going on a bit long like it and I'm, I'm always willing it to be perfect from beginning to end but often I find I think oh now this is just being overworked you know so but the Grand Budapest Hotel is about as close as it's got to perfect for mm. me with a Wes Anderson movie. Um, There's only one little bit sort of chase scene bit where I thought, um oh, but it didn't, didn't last very long. So, um, But it's just I could watch it with the sound down. It's the most beautiful wow. piece of um. I've not seen that. I
1: must get mm. that. And it's funny, on. of course. Right. Um, laugh-aloud funny or gentle wit funny?
0: Oh, I find it laugh-aloud funny. Um, and I think it's just because... I don't know. There, are, he he makes a habit, like the these scripts always make the habit of breaking conversational rules. Like somebody says something that's just so out of order that you just laugh at the effrontery of it. Right, you know? that's what I like about it. No. Yeah,
1: right. The you know that thing about the, films that go on too yeah. much. I I think in modern filmmaking that is a massive problem. That mm. like I think films that go beyond a one hour and forty five minutes. I'd, I'd like to say an hour and a half, but I'll be a little generous and say an hour 45, I think 90% of the time it is the vanity of the filmmaker. It's yeah. nothing that a good edit or a good piece of editing in the scripting process, I reckon, could not do away with. Like Gone Girl, for example, the only film I saw in the cinema this year, um, just needed a damn good edit. It just did mm. not need to be, I forget how long it was, over two hours. It just did not need to be that long.
0: Do you think it's because you get these kind of great directors who are such the linchpin of a project that they have such incredible negotiating power mm. that they just say, Well, it's going to be three hours long and that's it. Or I whatever. think so, you know, um,
1: and that that's their vision. And particularly when they're a celebrity, I'd guess people don't say, Oh, actually, Martin Scorsese or David Fincher mm. or whatever. You know, I think you could tell that story in a third less mm. time. I watched The Wolf of Wall Street the other night, um, and
0: miraculously, remained awake throughout and I (laughs) thought that could have been a that could have been at least an hour shorter yeah just thought that's just I mean you don't need three hours to tell that story and there's all these kind of mad romps off into the middle distance and you think well I
1: don't know yeah I agree um or just things that don't advance the plot anywhere like it's it's sort of the same, I think, as when you're writing a story. Let's <laughs> be about to liken when I write a story. It's much like Martin Scorsese when he <laughs> does a film. Um, no, but you ask yourself a question, which is, does this advance the narrative mm. of the story? And if it doesn't, then it has to go. Um, even if you really like, like it, it's got to go.
0: I find if you're working. I mean, I normally work in one dimension writing. Is that one dimensional or two? I don't know. If it's um. an actual page, I guess it's two dimensions, isn't it? Geez <laughs> look oh just jumped yeah, the really. tracks already. <laughs> Sorry. It's been a hard year, so it's been really long, okay. Yeah. I'm very tired <laughs> Yeah, carry on. But even when you're writing something like a like my standard length is, you know, the thousand word column or whatever. And when you go into it and you've thought of kind of a, a phrase or something funny or, a, you know, a device to use. And you don't
1: want to let go of it. Right.
0: And sometimes if you're no. a really tough editor, you yes. would just, you know, you would just, yeah. Gone. But I don't, you know, I can't do it. I like, can understand. Like if you Imagine if you're working in the sort of three-dimensional um, world of filming things where you've not only got a script device that you love but also this visual device that you love you and know? you've promised
1: angelina jolie that she's going to have 45 right. minutes of screen time oh, what about that angelina jolie
0: email exchange fantastic the other day? this the hacked sony emails yeah. i have been
1: riveted by that i it's cannot so read enough good. about that and know, then hating same. myself
0: for being interested it's i know just, but i'm loving it so
1: much yeah. um just sorry back on the short film thing i was sorry, thinking yeah. about that this year because <laughs> this conversation needs a body edit like, <laughs> Oh yeah exactly <laughs> (laughs) Listen to to us. Oh, this (laughs) self-indulgent, (laughs) blangering. That's the whole premise of our podcast. Back to my nuts. Um, (laughs) um, Do you imagine an editor going through this and just going, I'm sorry, I couldn't salvage anything. It's uneditable. It's all ridiculous. (laughs) It's uneditable. Um, I was thinking about the short film thing because – I only saw basically films at home as DVDs. And my favourite film of the year was Misery, which I had never seen when it came out in 1987 or whenever it would have been. I'm stunned that Jeremy didn't hide that from the DVD. That would have
0: been. I'd just given birth. Here we go.
1: Misery. It was actually, we were laughing. It's funny as well as horrifying. And it's horror. I hate horror films where there's gore Mm. and violence. This was horror, like psychological, just terrible and there was not a wasted frame in it. Um, it was so tight. I think it only went for about one hour, 25 minutes. And it was, you, you're laughing because it is legitimately funny, but it's also that laugh of terror, like, <laughs> oh, God.
0: It was it's great. the fame of the film precedes it, so you know that, I mean, you know that there's going to be some serious sick kind of. Well,
1: I, I thought it would be more disturbing, I guess, than it was because I'm sure people remember the premise of the film is that a famous writer is in a car accident and he gets rescued by a woman who's his biggest fan and then she basically will not let him leave the house. The the humour in it comes – I mean, people talk about some of the funny Kathy Bates lines in it, but I thought the humour actually came from mostly James Kahn's reaction, like his dawning realisation that – this person is an absolute psycho and that he is never getting out of her house. And so some of the cutaways when she'll do something and they cut to his face and it will be, he's trying to humor her, but he's actually just got this <laughs> overwhelming feeling of complete, just desperation and horror. It was funny it was funny so anyway and it's only an hour 25 you'll be able to stay awake wow. through it so, okay i'll do so that you've got to do that the,
0: the creepiest film i've ever seen that is that that achieves that whole feeling of impending doom that's just so <laughs> awkward to watch it's it's as hard to watch as faulty towers right. for different reasons or the office i, I find faulty towers really difficult because you just you just know it's all going to go to hell in the handbasket yeah um, was I think it's called The Company of Strangers. It's actually oh, yeah. the film okay. version of an Ian McEwan novel. Right. And Christopher Walken is this sort of impossibly stylish and yet deeply menacing guy who befriends a couple in oh, Venice. They're there on holiday. they a married couple, and they're kind of going through some tensions. Right. But nothing like what Christopher Walken unleashes <laughs> on them. He's the best creepy killer and dancer.
1: Slash, you know, combined. I know. In the world, isn't he? He absolutely is. Although, my favourite villain of all time also coincides with my favourite Christmas film of all time. Oh, nice. Bringing in the Christmas theme, which is Die Hard. I know that's an unusual choice for favourite Christmas film, but, you know, the scene, it's Christmas Eve, probably about 87, Yakitori Plaza in Los Angeles. Bruce Willis, Detective John McClane, is coming to visit his um, wife from whom he's estranged. She's had a gutful of his um, New York coppery. Um, (laughs) And Alan Rickman takes over the plaza. And he is a great... Baddie, absolutely like that sort of the baddie that you actually great
0: everything he is, but awesome. yeah, definitely.
1: And he's you he just it's one of those baddies where you think, Oh, it just seems a real shame that you think you're not gonna <laughs> I'm to sure I off. could change him, <laughs> I'm sure they must have deeply regretted that because the film ends with him plummeting to his death from about yes, I remember 120. That sequence. And so, I can only assume the filmmakers must have been really disappointed that they killed him off. In such a sort of non-recoverable way. Yeah, yeah, tricky to get
0: round. What's your favourite Christmas film? Oh, look, this is terrible, but really, oh, there's the blue one. Oh, oh God, I'm sorry. I we got I'm off that. Sorry,
1: she's not um, just to paint the picture for the listeners. She's not making eye contact with me. She's just looking out the back all the time at the birds.
0: You don't deserve them.
1: (laughs) Anyway, yes. Um, Oh, look,
0: I'm just disgustingly conventional. I I really just enjoy A Christmas Carol, and I will view it in almost any um, manifestation or production. In fact, I really enjoy The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol is great. um, I totally would have pegged you for It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I must have seen that about 50 times. Um, Yeah, same. I love that. Look, but, I mean, for me, the connective tissue in It's a Wonderful Life is Jimmy Stewart whom I will at some point time travel to 1938 and marry. I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I like him before the Westerns era. Like, you right. know, my kind of tingling knife point of adoration of Jimmy Stewart comes at exactly the point at which he made The Philadelphia Story. Oh, yeah, he was. that
1: was fantastic. Oh, yeah. um, do you prefer Jimmy Stewart or... Not Carrie Grant. Grant. No, no, not Carrie Grant. Um, Gregory Peck.
0: I just, it's not even. Gregory Peck is not even on the screen, like there's
1: Daylight Second. Wow, interesting. I love Jimmy Stewart. I probably like Jimmy Stewart better too, but I do also love um, Gregory Peck. Cary Grant for me is like a distant third. Oh, forget about third. It. Yeah, forget it, Carrie. It's just a show-off. As for Clooney, know. not even in the same oh, ballpark. No, sorry, fella. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, even though I said unlimited time, I've got a meeting at work in 20 minutes, so we'll have to try and hustle a bit more. Um, okay, your favourite fiction of the year?
0: Right, well, I was very lucky earlier this year um, to... Um, work as a judge on the Stella Prize, so it was a great discipline because all of a sudden I had like 165 or something books to read and because it was, you know, work in the sense it was an obligation, I didn't feel guilty about reading fiction and reading, you know, all of these books that I wouldn't ordinarily read and um, one of the books, which was actually shortlisted um, uh, but pipped pipped at the post... um, by um, a non-fiction book by Claire Wright mm. called um, uh, The Forgotten Rebels of Eureka, which is an outstanding book. Um, was a novel called The Night Guest by Fiona McFarlane, who's a young Australian writer. It's just an incredibly grown-up book for a really young person to write. What's the basic grammar? Weirdly enough, um, it, the book is about told from the perspective of an elderly woman and there's so few books that have an elderly woman protagonist and she Mm. is a really funny she's she's requiring some help so this um, kind of home help arrives um, and the book is about the escalating relationship between these two women and it is quite creepy as well because a a sort of misery-esque element does kind of Mm. um, and it's also told through the prism of the, this elderly woman slightly um, loosening grip on reality, like she's got a sort of a um, kind of a dementia situation occurring. But it's you know she's she's also quite like um, she sort of falls in love with this guy and there's some shagging and like I just think it's just really interesting. It's something you hardly ever read a book that is told from the perspective of an elderly woman and where she's funny and sexy that sounds and great yeah it's a, a really, sound that. yeah it's a great book it's really and it, there's some laugh out loud moments as well um just really clever turns of narrative and description i really enjoyed it i am
1: going to go for one called um well two actually <laughs> cheating a bit one is called red sparrow by jason matthews which is a thriller jason matthews is a former cia agent it was lauded in the New York times is the best spy thriller since the advent of John le Carré. Oh God, it was just great fun, totally great holiday read, unputdownable, just rollicking great, you know, Russia and here and there yeah. and oh, everything you want in a spy novel, beautiful Russian chick. Um, Loved it. Um, Also really loved Stoner by John Williams, which is a book, Feel almost a bit cliched picking it. It's one of those books that, you know, it's been discovered. It was written in the 1960s and for some reason this year it's come into vogue and it's been discovered. But it was actually a wonderful piece of writing. It's a very simple story about a guy who grows up on a farm and his father says, I think that the farm's not going to be sustainable so you should go into university. Mm -hmm. And so he goes to university and then it's just his very – ordinary life basically but it's written in a very sparse Helen Garner-esque sort of style It was really affecting it the sort of style that would,
0: would um spawn a thousand you know imitations it
1: could um it's
0: the worst thing about reading a really great book isn't it the knowledge yeah. that it will Probably be imitated by, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: you said that once to me that, oh, you know, it's so disappointing sometimes when you read a great book because you can't help but just think about all the terrible imitations it's going to spark. Yeah. I was like, oh, thank you for ruining oh, no. the experience of reading good books for me. <laughs> um, the Yeah, it, it might do that. It's also that thing where it's so impressive to me when you take a book that is... If I tried to tell you what it's about, it's so ordinary. Like The plot is so thin, but the book is so rewarding because it's sort of the insights that it brings. It was fantastic. Nonfiction, I am going to go for a book called Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon, who did the keynote address at the Sydney Writers' Festival this year. It is, I think, the product of about 10 years of work, and the premise of it is children who differ fundamentally from their parents. So it's gay children of straight parents schizophrenic children, kids with autism, criminals. Um, He interviews the parents of Dylan Klebold, who was the Columbine Massacre kid, and how do parents adapt when the child is really different from them and how do children adapt when the parents don't understand their world. And it was one of those books. It's very thick, but every page I felt like I'd have to stop reading because it would just keep packing these punches of insight. It was a phenomenal piece of work. He did a really great
0: um, conversation with Mm. Richard Feidler, which actually made me really want to read the book, but I haven't yet, so I might um, put that on the
1: pile. The conversation captured – I mean, the book goes into that in so much more, but the conversation actually captured it really well, I thought. And it was one of those ones where there'd be lengthy pauses because he would finish saying something so – Extraordinary, and then Richard would just pause because there's just nothing to say because it was so powerful.
0: I love that about Fire. Like he's oh, just he's, the, he's the greatest interviewer because what I love about him is that he's got um, you know he's always done a lot of research um, and he's got great um, production team as well, um, but he does not ever show off that knowledge. Like it's no. always it's never about him, and he asks great questions, great open questions, and you can actually hear the guests sort of giving away more than they probably intended mm, to. He's a yeah, really, he's the, he's I a really, really love, great interviewer. I love presence. his
1: work. What about your non-fiction?
0: Well, you know, I struggled with this one because it's hard. I read a lot more non-fiction, alas, than I do fiction. But um, the one that gave me just so much joy this year was actually another guest at the Sydney Writers' Festival, um, a guy called Gary Steingart, who's a um, kind of... Um, New York-based Russian emigre um, writer. <laughs> he writes, you know, for lots of magazines and stuff. And this is his memoir, which is called um, Little um, Little Failure, which is what his Russian parents call him. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, I, did, I got to interview him at the at the Sydney Writers Festival. He's he's um, the book is just this catalogue of his childhood humiliations you know his parents are kind of terrible <laughs> um they come across in the book just dreadfully you know they've just done terrible things to him and and it's so funny you know when somebody writes a memoir and they just they give it all away like there's no he doesn't try and preserve any oh. self-respect at all as we've discussed the best and sort of yeah. yeah and um it's just sobbingly funny and the best thing is i mean as i read it, i just thought how does because his parents are so kind of controlling and oversensitive and freakish and um when i met him i said look you know are they still talking to you and he said well they don't read English, so they haven't read the book. And it hasn't been translated into Russian oh. yet. He says, it's just like an incredible tightrope to be walking. You know, this wow. book is incredibly successful, presumably wow. at some point. Yeah, anyway.
1: Presumably one of their friends who reads English might say to them, so, <laughs> how about you yeah,
0: He was also on just a cocktail of beta blockers
1: because,
0: really strangely, he's incredibly nervous about appearing in public or doing right. media interviews. So he was basically on this cocktail of nerve-killing drugs just to even be on stage.
1: Wow. He's a really
0: interesting guy. Anyway, it's a
1: great book. Now, so funny. Now, um, can we? Can I pause and can we take this up in your car? Because I need you to drive yes. for work. Yes, okay. All right. <laughs> so, okay, listeners. On the just, road. <laughs> that's right, on the road with Chat Ten Looks 3. Back in a moment. Hello again. <laughs> now from Annabelle Crab's car. Or wonkydriving.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now... But by the
0: way... Outside your house, reverse to the curb, ninety-degree parking. Discuss what? What is it Just some saddest in town planning that does that. The other one that I can't bear is kind of um, forty-five-degree. Um, see, I'm about to run over your car. Um, forty-five-degree um, angle parking. I don't like that either. F- the curb. What the
1: f- front of the on. curb? I don't even that, like. They do
0: that in Hay. Right? On the hay plane. And it's like, when are you ever going to need a speedy escape in hay? You know, there's plenty of room. It's on a plane.
1: Park wherever you damn well choose. Why do they do wonky parking in hay? Exactly. If anyone knows, call in. Let us know. Um, okay, now, favourite main course recipe of the year? Oh, damn you, this was so tricky. And because
0: I've got a, like, an incredibly short attention span, Go I'm going to nom- nominate something I made straight. last night. Yeah, I'm like, straight. We... God, yeah, oh, you're I'm driving slowly. It's like you didn't get a run That's over one of those birds a, or something. Like a, an elderly person was about to step out onto that <laughs> pedestrian crossing. Jeez. Anyway, so um, I made this last night, um, and I know I'm just going to make it a lot more times, yeah. but it's not really a main course, so sorry. Oh. But... Um, Okay, it's from Yotam Motolenghi's newest cookbook, yeah. of course. Um, and it's um, pea and mint fritters, right? Yum. I love a fritter of any description anyway yes. as a starting point. Should I go around this dude? Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's you basically get, I just use frozen peas, um, defrost them, and you give them a kind of like a, a pulse in a fruit, food process until they're a bit... A bit fishy. choppy, but not, but there are still plenty of whole peas. Right. And then you just beat in one egg mm-hmm. and all of this mint and some pepper mm-hmm. um, and some lightly sautéed um, shallots. Yum. And with a tiny bit of vinegar, just mm. a little sniff. And then you form it into kind of patties mm. and you're thinking like, how am I going to make this into a croquette? It's so, so runny.
1: Yeah. Any flour. No flour. No flour. Maybe there's
0: a tiny bit. No, I don't think the there egg's is. It maybe there's is. No, maybe there's a tiny bit. Sorry. I'll have to check. Yeah. But here's the magic and it's just opened up a whole new world of fritterdom for me. You pop it in the freezer and you freeze those bad boys. And ah. then once they're frozen solid, you can then with ease um, flour and egg and breadcrumb them use panko breadcrumbs and then you pop them back in the freezer and then when you're ready to cook them you bring them out and then you let them just defrost a little tiny bit and then you just pop them into the hot oil and they go incredibly golden brown on the outside obviously but on the inside they're still fresh and green and the most it's a great they are just a bright brilliant green and they
1: just taste like pea and mint oh my god that sounds absolutely delicious
0: so good beautiful
1: Mm. um I am going to nominate a lamb dish that, out of the Women's Weekly that I've made about twenty thousand times, such that my husband has banned me from making it again. It's slow cooked roast lamb. Mm-hmm. You, it's a butterflyed lamb shoulder or lamb leg. Mm-hmm. You put sumac, oregano, salt and pepper, uh, lemon rind, the rind mm-hmm. of two lemons, mm-hmm. and a bit of olive oil, and then you baste that over the top of it, or just you know I put it on with a spoon, basically, and spread it out. Bake it in the oven at 200 for 40 minutes. Pull it out, 500 mils of beef stock around, and then tightly cover it with alfoil for Are four hours. you like to do beef stock with lamb? Doesn't it taste? Doesn't it? Straight. Um, yeah. It's fine. It just sort of I don't know. It tastes delicious. So and then you can do a right up here where that truck's going. I was right. a genuine question. I'm just never sure about. Like um, crossing the streams, meat-wise. I, I don't, don't
0: know whether you go from sort of reasonable into turducken territory. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> sounds
1: pretty low-end
0: offence, doesn't it? It's,
1: it's very tasty though, <laughs> um, and it's so the sumac is so fragrant. The sumac it's is so good. good, and the lemon. It's a real coincidence you should mention
0: that because my other thing that I was really tossing up because it's a dish that I've made just until my fingers have bled this year, and with my friend Rachel. um... Talked me into making this soup. Go left into this one way street. It's a Bill Granger um, in, down there, down there. soup. Oh, crikey. Sorry. <laughs> oh, awkward reverse up. It's all right. <laughs> wow, we just make each other drive like idiots, don't we? <laughs> we're talking so much. Yes, I know. Anyway. This is just not a Christmas road safety. I thought about making a joke on Twitter the other day because I, I ate so much Rocky Road that um, my friend Sue brought around for me that um, I said I'm thinking I'm in danger of becoming. Um, of joining the Christmas Rocky Road toll. Oh! And I just thought, that's oh, just such cute. important Thank so you I for saving it, the So now I've said it. Okay, um, the Bill Granger sorry. Right, okay, so it's it's this right. um, uh, pumpkin and lentil soup mm-hmm. where you um, toss pumpkin and a chopped up um, onion in all these spices, so it's like cumin, um, some paprika, I think, coriander, right. and then you chop up um, half a dozen tomatoes. Right. And... Um, Then you, and put that in, and some garlic. And then you cover it, like in a casserole dish, and you just bake it. So you're not roasting it, you're baking it. And so in the end, you get this sort of spicy, tomato-y, pumpkin slurry. And you just kind of fork-mash it, and tip it all into a pan, add some stock, and then you add um, red lentils, and then you serve it. I know it just sounds underwhelming, but it is a magical, delicious... Oh, how I'll post a link to it. Yeah, then, And then you sp- finish it off with yogurt and sumac, Yum. and fresh coriander. And it's just—it's in our house. It's called the soup. Like I'm going to be making the soup tonight because oh. it's just one of those ones you like give it to somebody, and people just taste it and go, "Oh my god."
1: Is that the one that you dropped off for me at work one time and then I gave it to the makeup That's artist? That's it, yeah. Oh, bugger. That's all right. Oh, the, we had a, I had a makeup artist one night who was really hungry and it was raining and she didn't want to go outside, and so I said, Well, funnily enough, Annabelle dropped me some soup, you can have it. Oh, and it was that. Yeah. I should have kept it. Well, I'll never, I'll
0: never bring it to
1: me again. No, I'll make it for you again. Um, now, just we're not too far from work, so let's start to wrap up a bit. What Have you got anything on your list of summer reading or watching that you're thinking, Oh, I can't wait to get into that?
0: Um, hum, 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 hum. God, I'm just, I'm so confused about turning right here that I'm, um, I've, <laughs> gone on a mental me. I've got this sort of massive queue of things to read over Christmas. M- mainly things that you've mentioned over the course of the podcast, right, I think. Right. Right. Um, just give me a moment. You, you say, I,
1: you, I can sense you've got a thousand <laughs> things. So I'm speak. keen to read a book that I think you would also really like. It's called The President's Club Inside the world's most exclusive fraternity by nancy gibbs and michael duffy and it's about former american presidents and how they all hang out together and um going right back to you know herbert hoover and dwight eisenhower basically and talking about how they're bonded by this unique experience that hardly anyone in the world has this oval office time but also forever rivals because you're competing for how history is going to oh the legacy wars yeah Yeah. i've been really
0: amused this year by john howard and um Julia Gillard doing book tours at the same time, yeah. and
1: you just know that they are really trying to outsell each other. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, there was an interesting piece in the paper this morning to say Howard's book has topped for LNP voters, their favourite book of the year, but Gillard's is nowhere near that for Labor voters, yeah. apparently. So. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: But she sold so many copies of that book, like just in the first really? couple of weeks. That's yeah. Interesting. Maybe she it was sold just like, like quick... eleven thousand copies in the first fortnight, which is just wow. That's unheard good for us, of. Really? Yeah, and she was doing this with publicity tour where she did 70 events.
1: Sheesh. Yeah. Um, now, before we go, so we've got, we've done a little thing where we've bought each other a Christmas present and it's something that we want the other person to read over summer. Um, so we're going to open them and tell you what it is. So <laughs> I've got a little card from Annabelle that says, Dear Salesy, this is the first Christmas card I've ever written for audio. It's going fine so far. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Love you. Admiring pod meat. And then I didn't put a card on yours. No, um, oh, but you've got or... one of those excellent Christmas
0: stickers like, that you do at school that just says, To a crab from L sales. <laughs>
1: um Okay, so cue audio of present unwrap. <laughs> I have got Mary S. Lovell. Oh, the Mitford girls! Oh, yeah. fantastic! <laughs> uh, did we talk about them in the podcast or just amongst um, ourselves? I think, I think just amongst ourselves. Yeah, yeah, right. So Annabelle told me that I needed to learn about the Mitfords because she said they're most the most extraordinary family, and so I've got this book, which is the biography of an extraordinary family, <laughs> is the tagline,
0: and um. It is the entry to so many things, this book, because it's so entertaining. There are so many historical events that you recognise. And throughout it all, you just think, I cannot believe that this family even exists. You know, one of them is Nancy Mitford. Um, One of them is um, Diana Mitford, you know, who married Oswald Mosley, famous right-wing lunatic. And then there's Jessica Mitford, who um, was a kind of, like, left-wing revolutionary. And then Unity Mitford, who was on with Hitler for a while and then shot herself in the head. Like, I mean, it's just... It's got everything and there's so much spin off reading because then you immediately want to read everything that Nancy's ever written um, oh yeah right and everything that Jessica's ever written and given that um, poor old Debo the um, last Mitford died a matter of weeks ago really or months I suppose it is now it's a really good time to be getting into it and you are going to love that book right
1: now I I hope you haven't read this one that I've got for you you might have but we'll see (gasps) oh no (laughs) <laughs>
0: oh, wow. I nearly... Bu- so, okay, this is Steve Tolt's A Fraction of the Whole, which I have not read. I, but everything that I've read about it in, like, makes me think that I'm going to love it. It is satisfyingly thick for a is. summer read. And I have been wanting to read this for ages. Oh, sorry. So- I left the price on it. Sorry.
1: Um, I, I-, I the price on this too. Ah, oh, lovely. Um, I am actually envious of you right now that I'm giving that to you and that I know that you've got that reading experience ahead of you because it is so funny and inventive and I think that you'll really love it. I remember I got about 25 pages in and I said to my husband, I think this is going to be one of my favourite books of all time because it was so it, great it, and it was at the end you still thought I that. found because it's a big book there's bits where it dips but you forgive it because it's just so fantastic so I can't wait to hear what you think about oh, it oh I can't wait to read it Um nice um, way to finish the year love yeah very so look thanks for listening to us we haven't um, talked about if we're going to keep going with it next year so we'll maybe this is goodbye maybe it's not we'll just leave you dangling I mean, so. I'm just
0: going to drive off the edge of the ABC <laughs> car park it's a, it's
1: a bit no, Thelma and obviously. Louise but I'm going to get out of the car okay. <laughs> see you, you see my driving okay. <laughs> okay. have a great Christmas have a great meeting I'll talk to you later <laughs> see you. okay bye bye